It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the Hive Jive. Well, looky there, I have electricity. <laughs> hey, it's always a good improvement and a good thing, right? It, For it recording was. anyway. It was. So the last time we were actually physically recording, I made a comment during the recording that, you know, whether or not the next week's episode would come out would be dependent on whether or not I was uh, snowed in and, and without power. And then mm-hmm. about an hour after we got done recording, before you that recording even came out, that's the right. power went off. <laughs> it was like you jinxed yourself. Yeah, it was off for about a total of eight hours. It was broken up into two chunks uh, pretty much the entire night. And mm-hmm. typically that's when I go through and I do the editing and everything and get it uploaded so that that next morning it can come out first thing in the morning. And that did not happen. Mm-hmm. So um, here we are a week later and another storm later. We are now on day two of an ice storm, and we have over two inches of ice on the ground. But the interesting thing is it's not solid ice, which is a positive. It's not raining and then freezing, so it's not freezing rain, which is really good, because if it was, it would be on the tree limbs and the power lines, and we could Mm -hmm. potentially lose power again. Fingers crossed and knock on wood that that's not the case, because I said that last time, and then it happened. But uh, this is like not the, the nice, fine snow cone but the old school where it was like little beads of ice. That's basically Mm -hmm. what this is. And it's over two inches thick of it. It is frozen solid now. So you can literally like ski and not even leave a mark. (laughs) So yeah, we won't be going anywhere anytime soon. Cause it's a a a 40 to 45 (laughs) degree angle to get up our driveway and up the road. So we're probably stuck for a bit, even with four wheel drive, I can walk up to the pickup and get in that. And I've got level coming out of the carport, but then when I would turn, even though I'm a little bit further up the road, that's still going to be uh, a bit of an incline. So you don't want to be going down that slope full blast. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's that was something mom and I were talking about was I said, well, I mean, we could try it. And I said, in theory, as long as the weight of the truck compacts it down enough that we have traction, we've got four wheel drive. I can put it in four wheel low. We'll be fine. The only problem is if we lose traction and start yeah. sliding backwards, Hopefully we stop somewhere down by the burn barrel, because if not, the rest of it is forest and then some animals and then a lake <laughs> and grabbing kind of like and trees. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, it's not it's not a sharp drop off, so we wouldn't actually go off. It's it stays at that 40 to 45 degree angle all the way down to the water <laughs> yeah, but with trees everywhere. Yeah. Right. Trees, donkeys, alpacas, llamas. <laughs> some chickens <laughs> there would be a couple of things in our way <laughs> there's a mental movie going on in my mind right now <laughs> it'd be kind of like in the old movie twister when the cow goes by right. Right. yeah that wasn't the sound of a cow but that was more like a cat <laughs> flying by <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. i can't make the sound that alpacas and, and llamas make so I yeah i forgot I, I used to have alpacas but yeah? um, i forget the sound so which one is it? It's the the alpacas are smaller and cuter. The llamas are they bigger. They are, but okay. they're also very shy. They don't want to let you 
usually handle them, you know, or pet them or anything. So they're really cute and you want to pet them and love on them, but you really like, no, most of them you can't. Yes. (laughs) So on a llama, because the lady that owns like 300 acres down around the lake has all those animals spread out down there. And she has guard llamas, like people will have guard donkeys. She has a guard donkey too, but she's got a guard llama. And I just learned the other day that guard llamas have fangs on their upper lip. They actually have a very extremely sharp, curved like a canine, but like sharp serrated freaking fang up there. And it's their fighting teeth. And they use them to like, you know, I don't know why I'm, I'm actually That's like cute. demonstrating in my head. <laughs> <laughs> they cut you with that upper tooth. <laughs> imitations of la- guard llamas. Guard llamas and me doing weird things with my face and head. Yeah. Um, anyhow, that has nothing to do with anything. It was just a random fact. Like somebody showed a picture and I was like, what? No. I was like, there's no way that that can't be a thing. <laughs> I didn't know that about llamas. I knew they could be guard llamas. I didn't know they had that those incisors. Yeah, they got they got fighting teeth up just on the top lip, and it's just like, and I didn't quite fully understand the description. I don't know if they are both on the same side that they can have two teeth, but they're both on one side, or if they're like normal canines and you've got one on either side. But I was still just because it literally looked like a freaking vampire. Like it was the craziest thing. And instead of being like a, like a dog's canine that's rounded and comes to a point in a sharp, these Uh are, these are more thin and flat, like a shark's tooth, but curved like a canine tooth. So it's, it's really kind of creepy. Are you looking it up? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, Google guard lava teeth and you'll be laughing. (laughs) So yeah, then that's cute. Anyway. Anyway. So We wanted to start the episode off with a little bit of nonsensical fun because this episode is going to be full of touchy subjects. Um, I don't yet know what we're going to name this episode. I I gave Natalie the assignment of as we go through it, try to come up with something to call it because it could cover a lot of different things. Um, But in an essence, This all stems from a conversation that I was having with one of our listeners, and I am not going to repeat names or anything on that just because it's honestly something that a lot of us have gone through. And if you haven't gone through it, you're probably lucky, but that doesn't mean that at some point you may not go through the same situation. So what are we talking about? We are talking about either intentionally or unintentionally stepping on the toes of people who may have mentored you or who are helping you or even perceived. That just doesn't mean that you literally did anything, but the perceived implications from other people who are in the B business that think that you are overshadowing them or stealing their business or stealing their marketing ideas and concepts. So that is kind of the all-encompassing subject matter. And it came up because I've had this happen. You've had this happen, Natalie, before. Yeah. It's it is not it's not necessarily a pleasant experience. Sometimes it literally can't be avoided. And in my experience, in both of our cases, wasn't true at all. It, the perception that was being put out there wasn't even close to reality on on what was really going on. Um, and again, you know, listeners reach out from time to time with different things, and and this specific individual is going through a situation very similar to that where somebody had brought them in and mentored them and helped them out and showed them out along the way. And now that this individual's business is growing, that original mentor is now 
kind of getting um a little abrasive, harsh, upset, and and sort of so far in private, but sort of kind of picking fights and stuff. And so that kind of came up like after we had the conversation, I got to thinking about it and I reached out to you and I was like, you know, maybe this is something we should talk about on the show because it does happen. Mm-hmm. I know that over the course of time, my story for certain has been shared back with Ken early on. And I was probably vague about some of the details and stuff. Cause again, I didn't want to like straight out, you know, call people out and throw them under the bus. And I've, I have mentioned their business and them multiple times in various ways. Um, also, other things that I mentioned that are vague but have nothing to do with this. This does not have anything to do with she who shall not be named or, you know, Miss oh. Blonde Beekeeper in the black tank top. So this is not <laughs> that's not where we're going with this. That I was I happened before she happened. So that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And it's not the same thing because we're really talking no. about business competition anyway. Yes. Yeah. So here's the here's the concept that you and I actually talked about this on the building a bee business episode, which was one of our first beekeeper chat episodes. It was like in the first three or four of them, which now technically should be out there for everybody to hear on the main platform by now as well. So but one of the things in there is the simple fact that when you have a bee business, there's only so many places you can go. And so in a very quick summary of that analogy, you start off, you have a hive. Maybe you started off with two because like me, you were told you need to have two so you can compare and contrast and heaven forbid something happens with one, you can then split or supplement from the other. And then the next year, maybe you do more splits and you've got four, you know, and it it can just keep going. So then you start getting enough honey for yourself. And then there's a little bit of excess honey. So you give some away to your friends and family. And then there's even more excess honey. So next logical step is you start selling honey. At some point, Certain beekeepers sooner rather than later, depending on their goals, are going to hit a maximum cap of the amount of colonies they have. But yet those colonies are still going to grow. You can still do splits. So what do you do then? Well, maybe you potentially sell nukes and help kind of reduce the amount of bees that you have on your own apiary. Also in the mix of both of those two scenarios is wax. And you can have an overabundance of wax and you can sell the wax or you can make wax products and stuff. That is all I don't care who you are or what you're doing. If you are in the business of bees, all of those things are very common and nobody should ever get their feelings hurt on any of those levels. Once yeah. you, sorry, you go ahead, go ahead. You can jump no, in. No, no, was, go ahead. Okay, I I mean, was, go for it because I, I totally agree and that I've got my own um, insights on that. So just keep going with the, you were talking about the products of the hive and the, yeah. the natural evolution of a lot of the businesses out there. So that's how you're going to start off and get rolling. But at certain points, you have to stop and you have to make some decisions. So for me, for instance, I was never interested in carrying hive equipment and tools and all that other stuff. So Mm -hmm. I didn't go that route. But I did build budget top bar hives for individuals that wanted top bar bees, but did not have a hive or did not have the tools to build a hive. And mine was very low budget. It was not anything fancy. There were no frills. It was just going to get you by. And I sold it for a very affordable price compared to anybody around in the area at the time that was also building them and selling them. Um, Mine were different dimensions. Mine were the dimensions based more off of Les Crowder's design and like your be mindful free plans that are out there with just a couple little tweaks to it. So that is a, a choice that you can make. And in this specific individual's case, 
they have chosen, they, they've already passed those other things. They've already sold honey and they've got honey stands. And then now that, you know, they're selling bees and they're doing this other stuff. And their ultimate goal is to eventually have a brick and mortar building business where people can come in, they can learn about bees, they can buy all the equipment that they would want. And depending on where you're at, you may be the only person out there doing that. Or if you were like Natalie and I in Austin, you couldn't throw a freaking rock without hitting somebody that had something right. to do with bees. <laughs> right. Well, so, and, and, no, I was going to say, so it makes it very challenging. That was the the whole end of that part. <laughs> right. And, and it's so, first of all, I have to say, I feel for people that are starting and wanting to make a living out of their beekeeping activities, because it is very hard to compete with established businesses. It's true of all kinds of business endeavors, but it's especially true with beekeeping, which is very regional and um, based on your location. So if you have a, an area that's loaded with beekeepers, like you were talking about, you end up competing with everybody else just around you in your own community, basically, and potentially your mentors, like you were mentioning. So that's very hard uh, to feel like you can be successful under those circumstances. I know when I first started to grow um, into something I wanted to rely on for a business income, I felt that it was really hard for me to compete with large beekeeper, well, large established beekeepers that already had cornered the market, in my opinion, on a lot of the things that could be done with beekeeping. And, and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like your uh, own source of income is at risk and that you're never going to be able to grow. That is super hard work and you're not going to be able to get the customers that you want to pay for your living, your, your income. And so I, I definitely empathize with um, mentors that are feeling like the people that have taught are starting to take off and making a living out of it because it's more competition that's coming into the market. Now, this being said, um, if you are competing on the same level uh, and on the same things as others, it's fair game. It's free for everybody to do business in the United States. You've learned skills, you've learned um, a trade, you've worked really hard at what you're doing. Nobody's, you know, officially, there's no, unless you've signed a non-compete with the person that's trained you, there's nothing that precludes you from launching your own business, whichever way you want to. And it is uh, true around the world, right? So it, it uh, is. there's not much, yeah. When, I, when you're teaching somebody, you need to remember that there are potential um, new beekeeper in business kind of a candidate, right? So right. You, you are exposing your own knowledge and you're transferring that knowledge to somebody that can potentially do the same thing as you do and uh, become one more competitor or one more option for customers in the same market that you're in. So right. you should know that as a mentor. That should be something that you're aware of. If you're not, then you should reset your expectations and or not mentor anybody if you don't want to do share your knowledge, right? So there's there's that. That is true. But there's I would also say that the number one for anybody out there who is going to be a mentor, it may not be easy at times to keep this in mind, but please try to keep in mind that. There is not anything unique about those first four or five stages of beekeeping. Yeah. There is no proprietary anything involved with that. So 
try not to get mad at somebody if they are growing and succeeding and doing things along those lines. Because again, there's not a lot of direction for you to go there initially. Now, when we do start talking about evolving into other things, yeah, okay, so if your model ended up looking exactly like the only other model there and you're doing all of the exact same things, that could be a problem. So how is some way right off the bat as the the new beekeeper that's coming up and doing stuff, how can you possibly prevent some of that right off the get-go? We'll come up with several different ideas. For you to not get your mentors or the people you're learning from upset, right? Yeah, how not to how not to potentially step on their toes where you can plan from the beginning things that you've put in place to try and make it to where that won't occur. So, so first of all, I mean, I, I agree with you that a lot of us get into the business of beekeeping completely accidentally. It becomes, um, unless you're like by design getting into the beekeeping world and you're investing heavily in it and you're, you know, you're just getting trained with uh, commercial beekeepers and all kinds of things. What happens yeah. very often is that you start with a few hives and yeah, you learn. You, I didn't get plan for any of this shit. <laughs> and then you get addicted. You get stung by the bug. You, you, you know, you're stuck. And and it happens to a lot of us. We we end up, it's an addiction. Basically, you end up meeting a collector of beehives and then you're like, well, I got to start paying for my hobby because like you said, all that honey that you have extra that you spend time extracting, you have to pay yourself at some point. And it's the natural evolution. So to your point, this is when you kind of like figure out either before you get started in case you get that bug or as you see that evolving towards that direction. And if you have a mentor, chances are you probably are going that direction. There's a there's a commitment, there's a willingness to do that to start with, right? And sit down and evaluate your goals. First of all, are you going to want to be a commercial beekeeper? Are you going to want to be a small scale beekeeper? Are you going to want to go to pollination contracts? Are you going to want to do like um, um, large volume honey extraction, uh, sales of nukes and bees? Or are you going to want to be somebody that's focusing on services or classes and education, or that's going to stay within niche markets? Um, that's going to allow you to differentiate yourself from other people that are all doing the same thing. So, I mean, this is like just business 101. And, and I, I apologize if I'm getting into that because I have an MBA from Ohio State and that's kind of the kind of things that you think about when you're trained a little bit on, on business and marketing and all that stuff. So differentiation is super important. And I think by differentiating yourself, you're, what you're doing is you're following your passion, you're feeling a niche, um, in the market that's got low supply and high demand potentially. If it doesn't have high demand, you can create that demand yourself um, and um, you don't have a lot of competition. And therefore you're just kind of allowing yourself to maintain your prices high without making anybody feel like you're competing with them and you're, you don't have to compete on volume either. So there's all kinds of things that come into place. Um, you know, I, I wanna step back for a second as I'm mentoring other people and I'm trying as hard as I can to transfer my knowledge and I'm creating classes for uh, um, uh, beekeeping as a source of income, just basically giving people my tricks and my tips and my recommendations. I also recognize that at times it can be hard to do, especially when you uh, see those ideas. Well, see, my goal is not to get mad when those ideas get adopted. I want those ideas to uh, permeate the beekeeping world 
but it is still you still get a pinch when somebody is using some of your techniques or what you've taught them and it sounds like they're not giving you credit for it sometimes or uh they're running with it and being more successful at it than you are it's human nature to react to that so you know this is where we can start understanding a little bit that a mentor might get a little bit defensive on, on that as well but to your point you can learn a lot or you can make up a lot of that stuff on the business side of things yourself by being creative and making up your own uh, sales channels with things that you want but that stuff is otherwise pretty much taught everywhere else you, you just kind of watch the the people that are successful in beekeeping to learn a lot of this stuff and um it's not the prerogative of one specific mentor or company to have all the secrets of how to be successful in beekeeping there's no, there's not that's not the case right a lot of it is you can make it up yourself so keep that in mind but um sit down and define your goals are you going to be a commercial beekeeper that wants to do all this stuff or are you going to be more small scale because let's face it, backyard is backyard. And then you have small scale beekeeping, which is where you start having enough beehives to create a business. But you can start relatively small with, like you said, the products of the hive. You can come up with a recipe for a secret bomb or, or you know, beeswax wraps that are awesome. The packaging can make a difference. The branding, excuse me, can make a huge difference. Uh, your website can make a huge difference. There's all kinds of things that you can do that uh, somebody that's mentored you might not be necessarily able to replicate or was not able to do themselves. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to do that and, and it's okay to just kind of go for it. Giving people credit um, for some of those ideas help soften the blow to the person that's passed on their uh, knowledge and um, just staying friends with them and just kind of uh, really appreciating them and, and just kind of, you know, mentioning some of the things. But it's not always possible when the mentor gets defensive or competitive with you, right? So we've seen that before. And, and you end up sometimes with people that get upset or backstab you or, or just compete and, and try to take you down. Uh, so that's always very interesting, in my opinion, and it happens all around. It's it's a generalized issue that that tends to be very natural. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned this a couple of different times, but I want to highlight this because this is one of the things that this could be like after the fact, after you've unintentionally already potentially done this and, and somebody's already potentially upset. The whole giving credit thing can prevent that to begin with if you yeah. if you do it early on. But if not be sure to start giving credit because if there is a specific skill that you learned, if there is a specific thing that you were taught by them that is helping make you successful, yeah. there is no harm in saying, I learned this from X, Y, Z, and I have yeah. taken that and implemented it. And, and now that's how I've been able to do this. So there's, there's no harm in that. Giving credit will help soften that blow a little bit for certain. Mm -hmm. If you can, there's some things that you can possibly do, and you you touched on these as well, but to go in a little bit more into depth, to prevent it from ever happening to begin with, when you're setting down and you're figuring out your business model, because again, if you're if you live on a farm and you're gonna have two to four colonies to pollinate the crops on your farm, this doesn't apply to you because you're probably right. never gonna really get to the point where you're doing that, or you're gonna sell your own products at your farm and it's a farm. And if somebody has a problem with that, they can get over it because 
that's just life. The farm's going to produce yeah. products, right? That's how it is. But if you are looking at having more than that, or you're looking at, you know, going into a honey business or going into a hive building equipment business or something like that, stop and look at the market around you, evaluate it, see what items are missing. So you mentioned things like the, the beeswax wraps. Maybe you like working with wax, but everybody else around you is doing the lip balms and doing the salves, but nobody's doing the wraps. Mm -hmm. Then do the wraps because that is a niche market that nobody has filled and you can corner that and make that your own. Everybody does, honey. There's not anything special about the aspect of having honey from a beekeeper mm -hmm. to sell. There's different types of honey. You've got different flavors that come from different areas and regions. So that's number one. But then you can do things like creamed honey or infused honey or different right. flavored types, honey combination things that you can do. Ken and I joked all the time about coffee flavored honey because he loved to put coffee in his honey or honey in his coffee. It mm -hmm. could have actually gone both ways, depending on how much was really <laughs> in the cup. With the quantities. <laughs> so, so, you know, we joked about making coffee infused honey and things like that. So there's, there's ways that you can come up with those. And that's something that I did. I came up with my honey infusions, my whole kicking line of infused honey, because if I was just selling honey, I was going to be doing the same thing as all these other people there in town that also had bee businesses. So find that niche market. And then if you're doing that and that's your sole focus and nobody else is doing it, then you're not stepping on their toes to begin with and they should not be getting upset. Another thing is to find something that might be complementary to the business that's already out there. So for instance, Say Natalie and Les build hives, and I don't want to build hives, you but I synergies. sell nukes. You so, mean synergy? Yeah. So I can sell nukes. And then when people are like, oh, but I need a hive for that, I can refer them right. to the people that build them and like to do that. So right. focus on your strengths. Maybe you are the person that loves to do woodworking and you love to be handy and build stuff, and nobody in your area does that. Then that can be your niche market that you get into and you build those things. And if you're not also doing everything else that the other people are doing, they can refer business to you and you can refer business to them. Hey, here's this beautiful hive that you can buy. And if you need bees for it, contact XYZ and they sell right. nukes for that style of hive. Those things well, right off the bat make it a much smoother transition. That's true. And I've never felt more um, uh, in, in, um, symbiosis or whatever in, in harmony with other beekeepers than when I've managed to refer people for services in their area as opposed to mine right and that you buy yourself some cr credits for goodwill right so so there's something to keep in mind that's definitely very important to the synergies that you mentioned I have a specific example I can give you that can potentially illustrate the the concept we promote, and that's another way to differentiate yourself. So, you, you know, selling like shop equipment, that's hard to differentiate yourself. But if you're selling top of hives, like you were saying um, earlier, then you definitely uh, have a lot less competition. And you can be also making hives that are custom um, and, and, and just differentiate yourself like that. My friend Richard has um, the hybrid hive that he based basically on top of hive and Langstroth conversions concepts, but he hand makes those one by one. It takes a, about a month to make one. They're a little bit more expensive. They're beautiful. They're work of art. And so he's, you know, using that concept to, to create his own niche. Um, we, we tend to go with, excuse me, natural treatment-free beekeeping and therefore the honey, the, the hive products that come out of it 
are completely different from the ones that are from um, colonies that are treated um, and, and potentially not local. Local versus non-local is another way to differentiate yourself. Um, comb honey is huge. There's not as much competition in that market than liquid honey. Uh, same for chunk honey. So those are also options that you can uh, use that your mentor or the person that you're um, you know, having an issue with might not be doing. And, and it's to your advantage anyway, because there's less competition. And so to the synergies, we uh, sell Taba hives. We actually give our plants for free because that's not our business. We don't want to be selling them. We don't want to be making money on them. And so I give um, a work to a local beekeeper that's making them for us. And he's charging us whatever his time and materials, whatever he wants to. So we have some available for people to buy if they're interested, but mostly our plans are free. However, because we're selling and promoting those, we're creating a market for our education. The natural beekeeping is big on that as well. And we are also potentially creating a, a market for top bar nukes. Uh, because it's hard to find tabar nukes all around. And uh, so most of the time you have to either start with a package or a Langstroth nuke conversion. And it's not as easy, right? So the, the synergies that I came up with was talking to a large commercial beekeeper that had um, tabar hives made to our plants that was willing to supply tabar nukes, treatment-free tabar nukes for us to the tune of like, um, I was able to order a group of 100 colonies and resell those um, and make a little money on it, just a little bit on the top for my, you know, getting them picked up and all that stuff. But the point is that they're happy, I'm happy. My customers are happy. People can find Tabernooks and that, that works better that way, right? So that's a way to create synergies. You could have, you could work with, uh, local candle makers. You could work with local soap makers. You could do all kinds of things that are not necessarily within the beekeeping world directly and get yourself a market outside of the beekeeping world so that you're not competing with your mentor, for example. Right. right? So there's all kinds of creative ideas that you can come up with. And it's a, all a matter of doing what suits your own operations and following your passions, what works for you, where you're finding the most added value or the most pleasure or both, right? So uh, what you're good at. And, and to, again, come back to the mentor, I think it's important when you learn from people that you set the right expectations. You tell them, look, my goals are to get into this business just as much as everybody else. And so just so that you know that I want to basically apprentice under you and, and uh, you can, in those cases, usually learn um, as an apprentice and not get paid and do all the hard work and just help out and contribute. Well, in a way you've paid your mentor, that's a contribution to their operation that they don't have to expend money on. So there's, there's an, an exchange, there's a synergy there to some extent as well. So something to consider. The, the other aspect of synergies too is going to be kind of respecting boundaries and territories in, in an essence, right? So in the metropolitan area down there in central Texas of like Austin and then some of the surrounding little cities and counties, there was a ton of people that could do bee removals. Now, the amazing thing oh, yeah. for us, not necessarily for the population, was that there was a ton of bee removals that needed to be done. So right. none of us ever went hungry. Most of the time we were overbooked. 
And so what we would do is you find two or three people that are of a like mind, do a good job and kind of fit within your moral and ethic range. And you make partnerships with them and they can be spoken or unspoken partnerships. And what we would do is if a call came in and I was booked up and they were in an area that I knew there was somebody else that was closer to them, I immediately gave them that person's phone number and passed it on. Because again, I had more business than I knew what to do with. So I don't need to be selfish and try to hog it all. I can share. And then you know what? After I've referred two or three things to this person and they said, oh, so-and-so referred me down here. Suddenly, when that person has a call that's up in my area, they send it my way. And you're not trying to fight over all this stuff because you're sharing. If it's plentiful and there's enough to go around, then there's no harm in spreading it out so that everybody has something to do. That is a great way to build camaraderie. And if it is a mentor, to show them the respect that they deserve for going through and teaching you whatever it is that they taught you. So that you make an excellent point. Uh oh. When you get started and you're feeling squeezed and hopeless in your market, basically, if you have um, uh, not as much demand initially, it's a hard thing to do uh, to not be competitive and then not just kind of try to differentiate yourself directly. Once things start to um, appear like uh, there's a lot of things coming your way, you relax because. In, pretty soon you're turning people away. So you don't care if somebody's competing with you. You don't care if you're somebody you've trained under you is going to go and take another pie, pie, pie of the piece, piece of, of the pie, pie. piece of the pie <laughs> and, and, and just kind of do their own thing. It's just um, usually when people get upset, it's, it's a hallmark of their business is not doing well to start with and they're anxious about it. Right. And so the other thing I would mention is that when you're trying to compete on equipment and volume and very small profit margins, that requires a lot more volume of customers. And, and that's harder to, to be successful, especially if a lot of other people are doing the exact same thing. My bet is that Mentor probably has competition already with other beekeepers that are doing the exact same thing that he's doing. So seeing somebody else coming up is probably a setting, but in the grand scheme of things, if everybody's doing it, then it's to be expected as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. So you've got, if we, if we flip the tables down, we look at this from the other perspective, if we look at it from the perspective of the mentor and what could potentially be going on. So you've hit a lot of very key points there. So over the last few years, these are some things that I brought up during the conversation as well. Over the last few years, times have been tough for people. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. what type of business or industry you're in, times have been tough. And if you're right. already feeling the squeeze and feeling the pressure, and now you're finding out that there's going to be a direct competition in your market that comes up that wasn't there before, that is potentially triggering and threatening because you already feel yeah. like your financial security or stability is at risk. And now here's something else that could take away from that. So that can cause them to lash out, even if they have the best of intentions. And even if you're not really purposefully trying to do anything to them or their business, they may not perceive it that way. So that could be one thing. The other thing is that whole giving credit. Maybe they feel like you're pretending like you just came up with all this on your own and therefore you didn't give the credit that was due. Um, so giving them a little bit of credit, that that could help that out. Other things along the lines too is, is that camaraderie, showing them how 
you still want to be a, a part of things and work together. So if you put all that together, that's kind of how I explained it as a, a flip side, you know, sounding board aspect of it was here's the different things when it comes down to it. And it, it this is true for all of us. It number one is going to depend on how important was their friendship or that relationship to you? Were right. you acquaintances and you were just out there to learn or were they a really good friend? And then all of a sudden this rift came up. That's mm -hmm. the first thing to take into consideration because that's going to inform you of what steps potentially to take down the road. If it was a really good friendship and you want to try to keep that, then keep the conversation going. And as you continue to grow, keep yes. that person in the loop so they don't feel like it's coming out of left field. And as you're going through that process, you continue to get bigger and bigger. So in this scenario, say you are going to open up a brick and mortar store, invite that person to come down and help out, invite them to come teach a class or do a presentation or something. And then, and again, in this specific scenario, there's a good amount of distance. There's about an hour or more between these two locations. So if somebody comes to you or you get a phone call or an inquiry and they're actually closer to the other person, refer right. them to the other person and be specific to tell them, tell so-and-so that I sent you. So Absolutely. that way the clients are coming in and they're like, Hey, so-and-so told me to come down here to your shop, you know, blah, blah, blah. They said, you got great stuff. That's the way to do it. And if you know, they do something that you don't, or they carry something you don't refer them. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Say, Oh, you know, what? actually, if you're really looking for that, so-and-so over here at this address or this email address or this location does that. And they're amazing and they're beautiful, you know, like it's okay to be that way and not feel like it's got to be so competitive exactly. and so cut tooth. Well, and, and the flip side of that is don't start bad mouthing your mentor or pretending that what you're doing is no good or it's too expensive or they're not to be trusted because that's going to come back at you. Right. Not only are you going to step on their toes, but you're going to make yourself look bad in front of your customers, in front of your peers and definitely uh, to them because it will get back at them. So that's not the way to, to keep that, you know, um, Actually, I don't think that's a good way to keep a business successful. So that's something to keep in mind. But I've seen it. I've seen the flip seen side of it. <laughs> I've right. seen the other so, side of it where the mentor did that. <laughs> right. Oh, well, that's kind of what I was thinking. Too. Yeah. But yeah. The, the, um, the, the other aspect of things is uh, you might want to try to consider um, paying it forward or mentoring yourself or doing community outreach and putting some of your profits, not just for your pockets, but also kind of like paid back to the community and, and do it for a good cause. That's going to soften the blow to the mentor because they're going to see that you actually are not necessarily just um, wanting to be cutthroat, but you're doing this for a different reason. So I think that's kind of, um, a little bit the way I want to focus is, is uh, doing a lot of community outreach first because it's my passion, but also it helps me justify that I'm doing this for a good reason. And not everything needs to be, you know, necessarily uh, lucrative. It could be you're, you're giving a lot of free advice to everybody. You're contributing on forums. You're just kind of spreading the knowledge and, and just kind of being generous with what you've learned, that's another way to kind of pay back some of that learning that you've done. And I think that in a lot of cases that helps people um, tolerate you a little bit better or to be more okay with you being successful in your own business in the end. Well, and it's as you guys always say, we all rise together. 
So if you're being successful and you are also helping to spread that love and wealth and you're helping those in your community or those in the same field also be successful, you all come up together and you're not trying to pull each other down and, and, you know, stand on each other's heads. That's the best way to do that. Right. The creativity, I cannot, I cannot emphasize that enough. That's just, you have to find what makes sense, develop a business sense of your own, try to not copy what others are doing. It never really works really well. You're never going to be as good as they are because they've been doing it for a long time. Uh, so be innovative, come up with new ways to, to um, um, just sell whatever it is that you're selling, right? So uh, new types of classes, new format for those classes, do workshops instead of, you know, one-on-one classes, do series of uh, classes, do apprenticeships, do professional services. I find that a lot of uh, the times you can make a better living on services which don't require an upfront investment or a lot of um, uh, assets. And, and it requires more education, which you cannot possibly get only from your mentor, which means that you've gotten your work done in other ways. And he cannot say that you owe it all to them. Right. right? So th- there's that other aspect of things. But definitely uh, educate yourself, potentially become a master beekeeper. Then you have credentials to teach your classes and differentiate yourself again. Um, get your street creds, just do your, do your learning. Um, professional services in Texas are big. And I created a, an entire business that's very lucrative on uh, services for ag valuation, 1D1 open space land valuation um, between the ad hoc consultations, the uh, maintenance of people's owned um, hives and bees, and the turnkeys where we come and bring our bees in our in our hives and all that has a different level of income based on it so that's how you differentiate yourself you come up with very creative idea that nobody's really been doing that structured or that professionally before and you differentiate yourself on your marketing and the way you present yourself you come up with things that you can do for your website um, that's going to bring a lot of traffic through it. Come up with a great plant list. Come up with a great plans that are for free. Come up with, you know, uh, your community outreach or your blog or something. Just something that's going to bring people over to you. That's going to help you out. And if you are wanting to pay back some of that to your mentor, go ahead and share some of those tips if you're really wanting to um, nurture that relationships. Just kind of tell them what's what is working um, and what they could do different. Provide some feedback, constructive criticism if they're willing to hear, hear it. There's other ways you can help them as well. Yeah, and so that that last little part there, that if they're willing to hear it, that's the right. flip side of the coin too. When I said decide how important that friendship or that relationship was, because honestly, there does become a time in certain aspects of things where you do have to make a decision as to, is this benefiting me or not? And we're not just talking financially, we're talking mentally, you know, your stress, your health, your emotions, all of that kind of stuff. And if it's honestly not, and you've done everything that you could to try to be respectful and everything else, you may eventually just have to cut that person out of your life. And that Mm -hmm. sounds harsh, but you will be much better for it because if all they're doing is constantly trying to drag you down and bring drama, that's adding stress onto you. So step away, take a breath, and you will be so much better for it if you do. It might feel bad at first, but 
Yeah, I've had to do that. And um, I've told somebody before, I know why you're doing this and I know why you're bad mathing and just kind of like always um, talking about what, you know, a bad person I am. And it turns out I was right, but that's neither here nor there because in the end, I feel better for it. I don't have to deal with the drama. I don't have to deal with that. And and in this case, it turns out the the whole battle was based on um the fact that i was promoting that i was mentioning that pollen substitutes are bad that soft sugar breaks are bad for the bees or not necessarily necessary for backyard beekeepers and they make sense in the context of commercial beekeeping or for specific things that you're doing but not necessarily for uh prophylactic constant feeding of the bees because it can have such negative consequences for all the reasons that we've talked about before. And I got shown and I got belittled and I got, you know, uh, basically insulted uh, in not so many words and kicked out of groups. And, and, and it turns out that that person built up that entire narrative that they're good for the bees because now they're selling those. Yep. And once I figured out that's what it was, it's as usual, follow the money. And that's what happened. I was like, I feel vindicated right. a little bit. Right. So, so to tell a, a, some little stories here, uh, just to kind of help put some things into perspective. The the one thing that probably I was criticized for the most, which at the same time I really didn't care in this aspect, but um, <laughs> and this was from all across the board. This was from friends. This wasn't like you know in competition or people being mad. But uh, my honey was some of the cheapest honey you could buy in that area. You make and, others look bad. <laughs> well, right, right. Why are you doing that? Like, yeah, I had one lady got very upset with me because, well, well, you, you know, you're making the rest of us look bad. Why are you selling it for that low? That's you need right. to increase your prices. And I'm like, okay, well, look, here's my business model. You built yours on the ag valuations, as you were saying, you know, and things like that. My top producer was removals. Right. My second producer was mentorship and consultation and training services where okay. I would go out and physically work with you on your hive with your bees. And those were the two main money makers the majority of the year. Honey was a, it was just an excess for me. Right. And I had the ones that I really liked and I really loved, but that wasn't my livelihood. And I didn't, it was a byproduct and I didn't need to sell it for like extreme amounts. But at the same time, I very specifically picked where I put my honey and who carried my honey and who I sold it to. So I wasn't in direct competition. And in fact, one of the things that I mentioned to this lady was that there was one location where we both had our honey there. Oh. And on purpose, I never shared or sold the same types of honey that they sold in that location. You are very ethical, my friend. You're I very am, and not a conscious. lot of people out there are. <laughs> yeah, you're very mindful of not stepping on toes. Uh, for I try other reasons. Yeah, so yeah. I, I've noticed that, and it's 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 true with your customers, and it's true with other beekeepers. So I mean, that there's no doubt in my mind that you always kind of try to be mindful of others when you do business. So that's something to be proud of. Um, and then I would say the the honey is also a byproduct for us because we we focus on professional services, whether it's education or, or those um, ag services. And um, the honey, we still get some, but I hate extracting honey. So 
if I was going to do that and sell that, it better be paying me something. Yeah, you do yours as a boutique because you're like, I hate this. It's a mess. I don't want to clean it up. It's an arduous chore. And I was kind of the same way too when it came to the cleanup aspect. I will do crush and strain every day. I don't care. But when it came to doing an extractor, I was like, look, we're going to save it all. We're going to do it all at once. And then we're going to clean it up once and be done because I'm I'm not cleaning that sucker up in three days again. And then again and again. Yeah. Um, Which is why I like the comb, honey. Really? Yes. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Cut, strain, done. Just set it out there, let it drip, put it in a container. So you can sell it for twice as much as liquid honey. You spend twice as less work getting it you know, uh, boxed up and also, and I have a new way to do this, by the way. So, <laughs> so, and I don't mind sharing it because not everybody's going to be wanting to do it that way, but you know, the European markets, um, they sell the butchers, especially, or anything fish. You could see that also at your local grocery store where you're buying fish or something. They use that butcher paper that's plastified a little bit on one side. Yeah. And they wrap it all in that. So I'm going to have a scale like at the butchers, like at the fisher, fish store. And I'm going to, um, people will come. We're going to do a, a farmer's market style. We're going to have the eggs and I'm going to call that the birds and the bees farm. And then uh, I'm just going to have that butcher paper and that scale and say, okay, how much comb honey would you like? Cut a piece, put it in there, wrap it just like the European markets. Maybe put a little cute little, you know, sizzle. Tie, tie a little string around it. it to hold yes, it together exactly. and, and call it good. Yeah. And, and then it's, it's artisan. There. So there you're still artisan, in your boutique market. <laughs> straight from the hive. No, um, no adulteration, no nothing like that. And it's a delicacy. It's rare. You market it as such. And, and this is how you make a good living without stepping on everybody's toes, right? You do things differently. So, okay, questions. Yes. Is the storefront slash shop indoors? Yes. Okay, good. That's going to solve a lot of problems because the first thing because I'm thinking is you're cutting honey outside. The you're going to have bees everywhere. Yes, yes, <laughs> It's yes. yours if you're brave enough to reach in there and grab it. <laughs> right. right, exactly. So, okay, yeah, then, that was my well, only thought. I was like, hmm. And I might potentially, that's the other thing I want, I want to do. And, and, you know, anybody's free to do those things. You know, as soon as you start doing your great idea, everybody's going to copy you that wants to do the same thing. And that's fine. But I'm going to sell my honey as uh, frozen honey, right? It's kept fresh and it's kept um, non-crystallized. And, and that's, that's, you know, uh, there's a marketing point to that because I prefer my my honey as fresh as it can be. If I'm going to extract it, I'm going to freeze it in the jars before I sell it to you. And you can do that with the comb honey and kind of like really stop or slow down really uh, heavily the crystallization. You can also sell um, whipped honey, you know, the crystallized honey, the what you call, uh, creamed honey. Yeah. And start promoting it as it's European style honey, which it is. That that's most of the honeys in France or in Europe are, are the vast majority of them are uh, crystallized. You find those a lot, especially on the artisanal uh, scene. So just kind of keep that. In. So you can do Walmart with volume, or you could do boutique with smaller volumes. Yeah, I don't know about the whole Walmart aspect. Stick to boutique. 
yeah, well, stick uh, to the niche style. markets. And yeah, that, I think that's that's probably the majority of our audience that we're talking to as well. Because not that I am, yeah, not that I am delicate or that anybody has to be yeah. delicate about it, but it's the niche aspect of yeah. things. Yeah, it's it's the artisan. If you don't like the word boutique, use the word artisan. That's it's, right. It's a limited quantity. It is you know something that is finite and. Most of us are not going to be able to have enough. In fact, there's the majority of the population does not have enough colonies to supply Walmart. So I was going to say that in and, and of itself is a whole different story. <laughs> when it prevents uh, unethical behavior, it prevents yes. you from being tempted to start buying bulk from um, maybe, you know, just not really uh, good sources and pack it and resell it as your own, which I know beekeepers do. Uh-huh. Uh, for financial reasons. So there's there's a lot of reasons why that boutique um, is also making sense. The other reason is that because you're not trying to go for volume, whether you're selling honey or whether you're selling bees, um, then you're not pushing your bees as hard. You're more mindful of their well-being and their health, and they're not disposable widgets um, like they would be otherwise. Now, if you want to do it the other way, plenty of beekeepers do that. Right. So they're disposable. They're just replaceable. They die a lot because they're mistreated. They're stressed out. Fine. That if that's your business, I'm not, you know, saying anything. I don't I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm not about to go and criticize your business model. Right. So the the other story, if you want to have an idea of like, how how does this happen? How does this even even start? It usually does it. It's one of those like kind of the whole, what are they, like the frog jumping out of the fire pan, frying pan and into the fire. It's it's not that, it's the, mm-hmm. uh, you put a frog in a pot of water and you can slowly boil it and he'll never jump out because as it's slowly increasing, it's you don't notice anything's changing. So yeah. that's kind of really, that was a that was a weird, brutal analogy. I'm sorry, but that, that was kind of how <laughs> this whole thing goes. So for me, when I started off, I did tons of reading and research, you know, literature type learning. Yes. That was number one. So I've got all this knowledge already coming into me. Then I started looking out to find people that I could go and work with to be able to get in the hives and everything else. All of that occurred long before I ever moved to the state of Texas. I get to Texas and then I realize I can do this and I can have colonies and I can get started. And along the way, I joined clubs and I, you know, became part of the group and the community and through that made friends and made acquaintances. And a specific certain acquaintance in that group who became a friend for a little while had a larger established operation and would often say, Hey, you know, you should come over and help out with this, or you could help with that, or you could learn this, or you could do that. And what it ultimately boiled down to though. And what I started becoming aware of was that what they really wanted was free labor. And, and it was because there was times that I would show up to help And I would be told, okay, so actually this thing just came up. And so we're going to go do this, but you need to go do all of this work. And they weren't there doing it with me. They weren't there teaching me anything. They were using my pre-existing knowledge to further their own business and gain and profit off of it. And when I started realizing that, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to start saying no and put my foot down and not just come over under the guise of, oh, we're having a barbecue or we're doing this. And that's what most of it ended up being. And then you'd get there and they'd be like, since how you're here, we need to move 50 colonies. And, you know, my back really bothers me. Could you help? And I'm like, you could have also just said, I need help moving 50 colonies. Not, hey, come over for a cookout, but we're going to work your ass off first. So 
I was like, I started wising up to that. And when I started putting my foot down and saying no, they started realizing that they could not use me like that anymore. And it made them scared because in the time that I had been there, I saw everything they did about their business. And it wasn't a fear of me copying their business, even though that's what they tried to portray it as. It was a fear of me blowing the whistle on how they did their business and the things that other people may not have agreed with that they did to be able to do some of the things that they did. You mean the buckets of five gallon buckets of bulk honey being bought to be resold? Honey, yeah. Honey that was not coming from them, in some cases, not even coming from the state of Texas and was being resold under their labels. Um, Wax that was not coming from them that was being bought from commercial beekeepers um, in bulk supply. And the way that certain things were marketed, the way that certain things were done, how they got their nukes, where their nukes came from, how they were created. I knew all of it. So I knew all of the secrets. And the thing is, I had my own beekeeping stuff and I was already working on my own beekeeping business. And my business was not based on that model. I did not want a brick and mortar building. I didn't want to sell equipment. I only started selling nukes when I hit 50 colonies and I was like, I can't do this. I need fewer colonies. And I started trying to help thin them out by doing that. And, you know, at a certain point in time, I had 170 plus colonies coming in every year that were above and beyond my normal colonies that were out there. And so- I had to figure out what to do with them. They they had to be broken down, combined, sold, something needed to be done. And so I came up with the process. And yet, the more I said no and the more I pulled away, the more vicious that group of people got with me, the more belittling they got towards me, and the more they started bad-mouthing me to everybody else. And it got to the point where we would be at an event in a huge city And I would be talking to somebody and one of them would come up and put their arm around me and just interrupt and be like, we taught him everything he knows. Oh. And the second time they did that, I reiterated very bluntly, that's funny because I sell my own honey. I don't buy it from other people and resell it. So clearly you didn't. (laughs) And that was the end of it. Like that was the whole it was my one way of being like, look, I have been nice for you to you for years and I have not done anything that you've claimed that I've done or you were worried that I would do. But if you don't back off and leave me the F alone, I will start doing all the things you're afraid of. And as soon as I said that one thing, it stopped. Now, granted, we were no longer friends. We hadn't been friends for a while at that point. And, you know, it was tense. And over time, it did finally start to loosen up when they backed off and still saw that I wasn't retaliating. I wasn't doing those things. They finally did loosen up a little bit. But again, I didn't plan on any of that. I wasn't trying to steal anybody's business model, but I found myself right in the middle of that exact situation that a lot of us can be in without even intending it or realizing that it's happening. Well, it speaks to the, the situation that we started this with and, and the fact that the simple fact that you can know about the business of the other person or have learned enough about it that you could potentially reproduce it or spill the beans creates a load of anxiety on the person that's taught you those things or showed you those things. And, and even without doing anything, there's a potential that 
it's going to be that way and then there's nothing you can do about it unless you very bluntly reassure them and tell them look I know all this stuff I have no intention to do this the same way I have no intention of spilling the beans this is whatever this is your business basically just putting your cards on the table is one way to avoid too many tensions uh, it is hard to do uh, I'm not sure I'm the kind of person to be able to do that because I don't like confrontations and potentially uh, bringing up subjects like that. But as I'm go growing older and I'm a savvier business person, I think it becomes more and more of a something that uh, I'm learning to do. And I think it's a great skill. Um, that's what I'm striving to, to do. So I don't know. It doesn't always work that way, but that may be potentially a way to avoid those issues. I don't know. I'm not that saying that's true. what you should have done at all. I'm just kind of trying to think about what I could do because I was in similar situations. And um, so maybe that's one way to do it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and in, my, in my case, I had had conversations where they straight up were saying things and I was, I was talking to them one-on-one -on -one going, I don't know why you would say that or so-and-so has come to me and told me that you've said this and that's not the case. And that hasn't been the case. And if I was right. going to, don't you think I would have done it like years ago, like back off, you know, and it, it was yeah. finally when you literally call their bluff and you do it right there in front the same way that they're doing, like I didn't go out of my way to do that, but I did put a stop to it by showing I can be the same way. If you would prefer, I've been right. nice, but I don't have to be giving you a choice. <laughs> yes. So and the but warning shots. There's there's lots of ways to go about things and ultimately, hopefully you find ways to prevent it from ever happening. That's the real goal is try not to let it happen. And if you do feel like it is happening or you know that somebody has taken offense to something, re step back and reevaluate because you know what? Sometimes they could have a valid point. So yeah, let's absolutely. In a complete hypothetical scenario. Let's go back and say you were talking about making a, a, a bomb or a salve or something, right? Mm -hmm. So say there was a very special chocolate flavored or chocolate centered bomb or salve or something lip gloss that this one company does. And it is their one thing. And the very first thing you start doing is that, and they get mad at you. Yeah. Stop and take a step back and evaluate that because did you have to do that one specific thing that is their niche? Was there nothing else that you could have come up with? Did you right. potentially knowingly or unknowingly do it on purpose? Was there a right. subconscious reason? Right. You know, so there could be some underlying truths to it. And if so, that's okay. You, you still stop back and evaluate, look at it from a third party perspective, try to take yourself out of it. So you take the emotion out of it and then see what you can do and what you can change. But if you can prevent it, do so if you're in it and you find out and you're like, oh, crap, I, I didn't mean to try to make amends, try to do those things to try to rebuild that that trust and that relationship. And if it's toxic and it's not worth it, don't be afraid to cut ties and step away, because right. if you're not doing anything wrong, then carry on and do what you do and just take care of yourself and don't worry about that other person. Right. And um, I've been known to ask around because I'm always looking for treatment freebies when people sell bees. Are those treatment freebies? And and I realize I cannot do that because that actually exposes the fact that they're not that put, makes them uncomfortable. And um, if I have to do that, I should take it privately. Well, you and I have also been in some unique situations because we have sat at the top of several boards throughout the state mm -hmm. where 
we came up through the ranks of stuff like this and we know what certain people do and don't do. And then suddenly we're on a board of something where you're supposed to go through and, and like, you know, real Texas honey, for instance, somebody comes to you and says, Hey, does this person literally have real honey? And, and, and you like everything in your brain just comes to a grinding halt and you're like, or you're you sitting there listing. going, Oh God, you what do I listing. say? What do I do? You know, like, <laughs> how do I approach that? I know the answer. Is it right? Should I, should I intervene? Should I not? Like, well, that's where you're, you kind of like, okay, so I'll give you another example. There's this guy down the road that's selling honey, raw, pure honey, it says, right. And I stop by and I'm like, Hey, I didn't know you were a beekeeper where, you know, where you got your house. Oh, I'm, I'm not a beekeeper. I've got a beekeeper remover friend that's giving me all his removal honey. And this is the dude that's just at the, draining the, it the intersection, it. right? The T intersection. It's against the law. It's against the law for very good reasons because <laughs> you could have a lot of, you know, toxins or asbestos or insulation material, glass, or, or yeah. urine or bugs or all kinds of really uh, bug spray where they've tried poisons, to pesticides, poisons, powders, pesticides, yeah. all kinds of really bad things. That's why it's illegal. Now I'm sitting here and I'm, I notice and I'm like, do I tell him it's illegal? Do I turn him in because now I care about the customers that might be getting poisoned? Is this his only um, source of income? This right. old guy sitting there, maybe that's the way he pays his bills. What do I do? I can't, I, I, right now I've not decided to do anything, but I'm kind of in a quandary because either you mind your own business and protect his income making, or you're in, 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 in your endangering customers' health potentially. So, or you just be the, the button button person that's going to disrupt his business, potentially create trouble. And, and I, I don't really like to be a tell, you know, tattletale okay. either. Yeah. So, but, but the, I'm still stuck with what if somebody gets to absorb things that are not good? Yeah, that's true. And then, and, and there are instances where certain individuals have been sued more than once. Right because they sold honey that had fiberglass in it that came from a removal that should not have been done. And they sold it to the general public and you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to be selling it. You know, you don't know if it wasn't your colony and you weren't there and you have no idea the history of it and what's been done to it. You have no business giving that honey to people or to your bees. (laughs) What would you do? Yeah, well, uh, most of the time with ours, we tried our best to try to go through and evaluate. And if there was anything even remotely suspicious, it went as toxic waste and it just had to be disposed of. We tried to make sure that nothing could get into it. Yeah, yeah, And, no, and what that I mean was is, it. What would you do? Oh, in, in that situation? in your scenario? I don't know because I think I know, I don't know the individual, but I think I know who you're talking about because it's at the intersection of the two highways where it makes a T and yeah. it's kind of a wider cross and there's like a little pullover area there. Yeah, yeah, uh, not far from me. Sometimes yeah. there's a gentleman who's selling knives and then yes, sometimes yes. there's the gentleman that sells honey and yes. I've driven and we by not there say where that is because we don't want to. Identify yeah, no, 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 no. no. But, but I've driven yes. by there before and I was like, oh, honey, you know, and I think I had a line of cars behind me, so I wasn't able to stop. Yeah, but later first. you told me that story and I was dumbfounded when I found out where it was coming from. Um, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where there's so many different potential things that could come of it. And again, I don't, I don't know. I would have to talk to the individual first and try to gauge how receptive they would be to information and then try to educate them on how that's not 
technically legal there in that state there's to be doing a liability that. there right there's a liability issue and and do it as a caution for them and right. then maybe they make that decision on their own um give them other alternatives as to where they could potentially get honey if they wanted to continue buying in bulk and reselling it as a source of profit and then ultimately if none of that seemed to work and they still are doing the exact same thing then maybe, yeah, you take it to like the state inspector or somebody and you're like, hey, unfortunately, there's this thing but going on. But at that on. point, that person will know because you've talked to them about You this. have. You're, you're right. You're not You're not in the blind there. You're not hidden from it. Um, but that is, that's typically how I would approach something like that. I would start with trying to educate the individual and giving them the opportunity to make the right choice. <laughs> I thought about that too. It's kind of like, what, what do you do? You're kind of like in a corner because- if nothing changes, you still have people that are exposed to problems. Yep. The only other thing that can be done, and it doesn't work in this scenario, but this is one of the things where you can distinguish yourself if you're competing against honey in a supermarket or things like that, is educating your customers. Because well, was, the, yeah. yeah, the better you teach them and, and not, there's a difference between bad mouthing the competition yeah. and educating your customers. So when you educate Ask your customers- your on real honey and how it's made and where it comes from and how it's Bees. extracted, you mm -hmm. give them knowledge, which becomes ammunition. So when they go talk to somebody else, they start asking questions. Yes. And if they don't get answers that fit, they will not be a patron of that individual or that shop or that store. And that's why we teach uh, for the bees as well. Where do your bees come from? What uh, treatments did you use in your bees? Those are the questions that everybody should be asking to uh, be suppliers. If they are trading with something and they're going to be very proud to tell you what they've been using on that. If you're just asking, do you treat your bees? They will say no, right? Even though they might be using something because they, they can feel that's a loaded question. But if you ask them, what did you treat your bees with? They're going to assume that you are okay with them treating their bees. You just want to know what they used and they'll spill the beans a lot easier. It's so all embracing. <laughs> ask them uh, where their bees were raised, where their queens were raised. Um, if they're local, they'll tell you. If they're somewhere else, they'll tell you where they're coming from. Ask them if their queens were grafted, if that matters to you. And they'll be very proud to tell you yes or no, right? And so there's all kinds of things that you can ask a supplier of bees and you can do the exact same thing to your point about your honey. Do you, what do you use to treat your hives? So that you know if your honey is coming from treatment-free colonies or if it's coming from colonies that are being exposed to pesticides. So just educate your, your customer, I mean, not your customers, your students, anybody, the general public actually, um, provide free, public service, you know, education at the local library, um, make noise about this and get your marketing um, focused on that message and try to really spread it around so that people know that, um, for example, it's very rare when grocery store honey is actually uh, unadulterated honey. So, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. So education, you're right. Education. That's Education's big, but also at the same time, it's the phrasing of the questions. So like you were right. saying, flip-flop how you say it. So that was something that we used to do with bee removals all the time. If you yeah. say, did you spray this colony with a pesticide? They yes, will say, no. no, never. And there's a freaking can of Raid laying like right. at the base of the colony. And right. you're like, really, what's this? You know, like it sets up the scenario for a bad situation in exchange to right. begin with. 
But what we would do, and the reason we ask is because one, if a colony has been treated with some sort of chemical or pesticide, especially if it was from an exterminator, Mm-hmm. That stuff gets into our bee removal equipment. It gets into the hoses. It gets into the shop vacs. It gets into it the actual contaminant units. And the next time you go try to do a removal on a healthy colony, they get contaminated by all this residual pesticide residue that's in all of your equipment. So we have to know up front, has it been treated? Because if it has, I'm using equipment that is dedicated just for that. And this colony may not be able to be saved and the wax absolutely cannot be kept and you know like all of that kind of stuff so what we found that we could do is when we would go and we do the removal we would start off by telling them hey so when we're doing this there's probably going to be some fresh honeycomb in here if you've never had it it's freaking amazing and um you know so long as the colony has like never been treated with anything then it's usually usually perfectly fine to eat so if you have like a little container or something you want to bring it out i'll be happy to put some in there for you Nine times out of 10, if it has not ever been treated, that person is going to be like, oh my God, that is so amazing. I, right. Let me go get a container. But if right. they're like, oh no, no, that's good. I'm fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> they treated that colony because you just told them so long as it's never been treated, it should right. be good for somebody to eat. Right. They'll be like, oh no, no, I'm good. I don't need it. That's yeah. their way of telling you, yeah, I treated that colony without and, you blatantly being like, did you do this? <laughs> right. Then you take the other set of equipment just yeah. in case. You're like, hey, or hey, grab the other side of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> this side or that side. <laughs> right. These are bad ones. Right. So, uh, yeah. Well, be clever, be smart, just creative. Uh, be mindful about how you treat others. <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, she's going to get it in there. She's got too many B things going in a line not to say that one. It's so obvious. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why, I mean, I think it's important. <laughs> that's right. I mean, you didn't base an entire business on it or anything. Yeah. I mean, why, why would you ever say that? <laughs> I think it matters. <laughs> For so, oh, many so many reasons. Well, everybody, hopefully you have definitely gotten some things to think about out of this episode. This this one has a lot of juicy details in there. So you maybe go back and listen to it again, too, just to just to see, because if you're not in that situation today, it doesn't mean that you're not going to find yourself in it in the future. And also, there's no telling which side of this situation that you may find yourself in or on either. So it definitely helps to, as you said, be mindful, take yourself out of it, away from the emotional reactive points of it and think about it from that logical standpoint and then think, how would I prefer? How would I feel if I was in the other shoes? Things like that. So hopefully you've gotten a lot of information out of this and maybe a few little giggles and chuckles along the way. And uh, as always, we look forward to talking to you next week. But until then... Be good, everybody. And of course, be mindful. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.